Our Father, we do want to thank you that the Bible is an incredible way for us to learn about you. We pray you help us to see how that is true tonight as we study it together. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen. So, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janis and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now we stop there, and uh, the children are going to go to their different groups. Right, well, um, I don't know whether we've lost the noisy ones or whether the noisy ones have decided to stay in, but uh, we shall see as uh, time goes on. The thing that I want to ask today is why is the church so divided? <coughs> Ever wondered that? 
it seems like in Bible times, you didn't have that problem. You just simply had one church in one place. So that when Paul wrote a letter to a town called Corinth, there were one group of Christians there, the church in Corinth. Not many churches, just one. They might have met in each other's houses, but one church in one place. You come to Dagenham, and it's a mess. Just our Beckentry estate, which is only a part of Dagenham, where there are three different Church of England buildings. There's a major Roman Catholic place. There's a Baptist church. There's Beckentry church. There's at least two African churches. And then there are lots of Christians who leave Dagenham and they go to other places and other churches. Why? How come? Well, it's just helpful, I think, for us to realize that it's not just now. You look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you will see that in those days there was a division between those who got God right and those who got God wrong. You can see that here in the passage of the Look at verse 3. And you've got people who are <coughs> those who are good on uh, putting on a show uh, of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Uh, they are. Hold a minute. Where, where does it say that uh, they have the form of godliness, but they don't have any power? That's in verse five. They have the appearance of godliness. Okay, they look the part. It's a good show, but there's no life that's getting changed. You look at verse eight, and you see again uh, counterfeit religion. Janis and Jambres put up a alternate religion to Moses and opposed him. You had that way back in the days of Pharaoh. It's always been like this. Look at verse uh, uh, 13. And you will find evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse. So the situation is always going to be like this. Evil men, posters, will come in to church and things will go from bad to worse. It seems like there's a, a spiritual gravity pulling the church down and going from bad to worse. And that's a kind of process that is happening all the way through. Paul wants us to know. So in verse 1 he tells us, in the last day there will come times of difficulty and that's exactly what happened. Paul himself was now, when he wrote this, a prisoner in Rome. The Roman Empire hated Christians. Paul was, uh, suppose, reputedly beheaded shortly after this. And the Roman Empire continued hating Christians and persecuting them, throwing them to lions. But still the church grew and grew and grew and stayed united. But then 300 years after Jesus, a brilliant Roman soldier called Constantine rose up through the ranks to become emperor of Rome. 
And one day he was on his way to fight a famous battle and he saw over the enemy army these words. He saw a sign of the cross and the words wrote, In this sign conquer. And he won the battle that day and he became a Christian on the battlefield. And suddenly Christianity goes from being a despised religion in Rome to being now the new fashionable religion to join because the new emperor was a Christian. Only snag is that, <clears throat> well, he promoted Christianity the way he promoted his old pagan religion. So in pagan Rome, the emperor was regarded as God and they regarded his mother as being the mother of God gave her a very high place. So, Constantine said, Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, who's the mother of Jesus? Mary! Let's make a big deal of Mary, the mother of God. And another thing I noticed, said Constantine, my old religion had priests. You Christians don't have priests. You only have preachers. I want priests. So suddenly, Christian ministers start to be called priests. And priests need sacrifices. You Christians don't have any sacrifices. You say, Jesus is the one sacrifice. Well, no, you need sacrifices all the time. So let's take that little meal that Jesus said about remembering how he died. Let's turn that into a sacrifice. It's like we're repeating what happened on the cross. It was called the Mass. And in the Mass, they thought and looked at it as them sacrificing Jesus all over again. And they said, you Christians, you meet in each other's houses. Our pagan religion had temples. We need some impressive buildings Constantine started to build and so one by one the whole concept of what it was like to be a Christian from the Bible began to change now some people said he became a Christian he got the whole Roman Empire to become a Christian therefore they called him a saint other people actually wondered whether he ever became a Christian at all. Because it seems that actually he was taking things from bad to worse. Far away from the way things started out in the Bible. And things did go from bad to worse. Because what happened is that the church that Constantine started, which was based in Rome and then soon came to be known as the Roman Catholic Church, had a big deal with Mary, had a big deal with priests, had a big deal with mass, had a big deal with buildings. And a big deal with wanting money. And you know how they did it? This is a neat trick. This is before the prosperity gospel. The Roman Catholic Church came up with the purgatory gospel. Ever heard of purgatory? I'll tell you about purgatory. Purgatory is a new place that was invented at that time that was not heaven, that was not hell but it was kind of a place where you went to when you died and 
you made your way up the ladder to heaven bit by bit and guess what got him up the ladder when your family started giving the church money well the church would then <coughs> say okay well this puts them further up the ladder and the souls of the dead would climb up rung by rung on their way to heaven things were going from bad to worse but then 500 years ago there was a proper German uh, rather than the pretend one you saw earlier and Martin Luther came on the scene he was a Roman Catholic monk but he read the Bible and he said the church is opposite to what it says here and so what he did was he started reading his Bible and he decided that what was going on in the church he was in was just the opposite of what was taught in the Bible and so you had the Roman Catholic Church but Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to a door in Wittenberg, the cathedral door in Wittenberg, to say why the Roman Catholic Church was wrong. And so therefore, he started what was called the protest movement, or the Protestant movement. And although there were 95 of them, actually there were just five main th things <coughs> that came across as important at that time. We'll see those five things one by one, but today we're going to be looking at uh, the one that says Bible only. As Hannah explained, sola, they call them the five solas, sola's Latin for only and uh, today we are going to look at the first of those the Bible only that's the only thing that you need to get to know God and understand how to serve him and as we look at that I think in 1 Timothy chapter 3 there are three things about the Bible that are really important to understand. First, that it is supreme. Second, that it is sufficient. Third, that it is clear. And we'll look at each of those one by one. And then those words that might seem big and unfamiliar, well, you'll understand them. What does it mean to say the Bible is supreme? You get the idea of supreme, don't you? Above everything else. Why do we say that? Because of verse 16. Have a look. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, these are God's words. That's why they are so high and above every other word. And therefore you begin to see the Bible is not just a book 
that you pick up like any other book. It is actually a miraculous book. It's a book that was written over 1,500 years by 40 different people in three separate languages and yet, forget Chinese whispers, it's all about one message, all pointing to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, although there are so many uh, different uh, books, there are 66 books altogether, yet one story goes all the way through, even over 1,500 years. It is an incredible book to have a united message like that. A real indication that it didn't just simply get made up as it went along. Now, the Quran, on the other hand, is one man who says, My one book is uh, what you need to know. And that book is true. But the Bible has a very different level of confidence over a vast amount of time a whole number of different books and still tell you one message. That is the message that is true. But while the Bible was seen as uh, um, uh, while the Bible is uh, seen as uh, a book that is uh, one message because God breathed it. Uh, just uh, give me a moment and uh, we'll stop. So while the Bible is one book <clears throat> and it's written as a record of God's words that he breathed out, the church at that time, the Roman Catholic Church, said, no, it's man's book. And because man wrote it, man therefore can change it. And the way the Roman Catholic Church changed the Bible is not by disagreeing with the Bible. The way the Roman Catholic changed the Bible is by adding to the Bible. So what they did was that they said, not just Jesus, but Mary was important. Mary was always a virgin. She was that important and special. And uh, Mary is the person that you can pray to. The Roman Catholics have a special prayer uh, that in, the, in, in our hour of need they say the rosary and they go to talk to Mary. Now, in Bible Mass when you add to something you subtract from it. Every prayer to Mary is one prayer less to Jesus. Add Mary, you take out Jesus. In Bible Mass, if you add to something, you subtract, you take away from something. And so, what... Uh, uh, the Reformation said what Martin Luther said is scripture alone 
is what you need without any additions. You can't say church leaders wrote the Bible, therefore church leaders can change the Bible. No, it puts church leaders in their place. And the only job of a church leader is to tell you what the Bible says, not what they say. And therefore the Reformation went back from priests taking communion services to preachers teaching what God's word says in the Bible so that that could be supreme over us where we get our authority from and where we follow God's lead. If we do it through the Bible, it is supreme. But he's also sufficient. And you can see in verse 17, not only does the scripture come from God, which everybody agrees, but I wish we could spend a bit more time agreeing with verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. <coughs> the Bible, in other words, will equip you for every good work. <coughs> Seriously, every good work. So, you want to know, I want to get married to someone. Who do I get married to? Getting married is a good work. Who do you get married to? Well, the Bible gives you all you need. It tells you that you need to marry someone uh, of the opposite sex, uh, someone who is not related to you, someone who has not been married to somebody else, and someone who is a Christian. Okay? If you want to get married, find someone who is a Christian, who has not been married, who is not a relative, and who is of the opposite sex. And then, if you uh, find someone who uh, fits those categories, then choose wisely because there will be more than one person that fits those categories. And this is where it might just be helpful to bring other people into the discussion and as you chat through the options you might like to um, draw someone else to think it through with you and do it prayerfully, trusting God, asking God to help you to be wise as you make your choice. You don't need anything else. And in fact, you need to know what the Bible says about this. It equips you for every good work if you're single. In fact, it says that actually marriage is not as good as being single. So therefore, let's not chase after marriage the way the rest of the world chase after marriage is the one thing that matters in life. Be perfectly happy and content as a single person, the Bible tells us that. Listen to what God says. It is sufficient for you to make every decision that you will make. It teaches you how to bring up a family. Fairly important, isn't it? And the Bible tells us how parents are to bring up children. In the fear and nurture of the Lord, fathers are not to provoke uh, their children. Uh, to anger and uh, uh, they are to children are to uh, honor their parents and therefore uh, a family wanting to establish 
uh, close family unit will want to look at the Bible and see what it says. It tells you how to work at a job. Not as pleasing the boss as men pleases, but as serving the Lord. And it tells you how to handle hard people when difficulties arise in relationships. How to handle those. So many practical things that may be on your mind as we sit here tonight. The Bible will fully equip you in each of those areas. How to use your money, how to be generous with your money, how to trust God where you don't have money. All those are wonderfully uh, addressed in Scripture. Now, again, be very careful because what you can do <coughs> is do the plus that takes away trick. You can say, right, okay, now I won't have Bibles, I'll go for dreams, I'll go for other forms of guidance and direction. And the Bible says, no, you don't need to. If you do that, you will take away from the Bible. Certainly, Bible, dreams and so on may back up a direction that the Bible wants you to go in. But that is not where you go first. The Bible is sufficient and we mustn't look to other ways. Otherwise, what we'll do is we'll do the plus and take away, make it a minus. And then the last thing to say about the Bible is that it is clear. Why do I say it is clear if you look at verse 15? You'd be able to tell me yourself. Because it is clear. Why is it that I say the Bible is clear from verse 15? Sam, have you got verse 15 in front of you? Hmm? Well then, <clears throat> hard to read the Bible without the Bible, isn't it? What is verse 15 telling us? Helps you to be wise for salvation, makes you wise. Why is it clear? Because it's, it's um, you were acquainted with it from a child. Yeah, when you were a child. In other words, it doesn't take... <coughs> great uh, know-how children can understand it that's the point you know who you learnt it from who did he learn it from but well, you look at two, two, uh, the, the first chapter 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 and you see that he learnt it first from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice you know, it was his grandmom and his mum taught Timothy when he was a child it's pretty clear. You can pass it down the generations and you don't get it wrong. So you see, when you come to understand the Bible, you don't need to go to Bible college, you just need a good grandmum and a good mum that will teach you. Now, before uh, Martin Luther started out, as we saw, everything was in Latin. And so therefore, you only had to you could only read the Bible, you could only understand it if you spoke Latin. And Henry VIII, who was the King of England at that time, was a complete nuisance. He said 
that you could only read the Bible in Latin. And uh, Dabas, can you turn your phone off, please? Um, and when people tried to teach the Bible in English, it was a terrible tragedy. King Henry VIII killed six women and uh, six men and one woman because they taught their children the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments in English. And then two years later, William Tyndale, the chap with the fluffy nightgown that you saw earlier, he told a Roman Catholic priest who knew absolutely nothing about anything in the Bible. And he said, I'm going to make sure that a boy following the plough will know more of the Bible than you do. And so he started translating the Bible into in the New Testament into English and smuggling it in. But he got caught and he got burnt. And as he was burning, he prayed to God, God, open the eyes of the King of England. And two years later, Henry VIII allowed the Bible to be translated into English and to be used in England in that open way in the first time. And because you have this whole idea that the Bible is clear that anyone can understand it, that the work that Tyndale did getting the Bible into English carried on and so the Bible was then translated <coughs> into thousands of different languages and put into millions of different hands. So anyone across the world could pick up and read. Now that's uh, how uh, the Bible is. But, I told you, things go from bad to worse. And although those were great days 500 years ago, nonetheless, today, you have a whole number of people saying the Bible is not clear. So, you listen to church leaders around today, and they will say, it's not clear what the Bible says about marriage. It's actually interesting that I think we ought to be listening to culture maybe a little bit more and it's possible for not just men to marry women but it's possible for men to marry men and women to marry women. Now what you've done is you've done the plus culture. Bible plus culture means you've taken out the Bible. And this plus equals minus. And when it comes to areas like uh, men uh, leading churches and their families, but it's said now in culture that even if there are men around, maybe that actually women ought to be doing that work. Because the culture says that. And you add the culture into the mix and you take away the Bible in the process. And so therefore you have uh, this uh, amazing uh, 
confusion around. And people say, well, you know, there are some experts that say this and then some experts that tell the opposite of that. And so how do you expect us to understand what's going on? Because if the experts can't agree, well, how do you expect us to agree? My friend, let me tell you something. Experts earn their money by disagreeing with each other. An expert won't get paid for saying the same thing that the last expert said. They'll pay the last expert. If experts are going to get anywhere, they're going to have to disagree with each other. It's their stock in trade. But what 2 Timothy chapter 3 will tell us is you don't need an expert, you just need to ask the nearest godly grandmom and mum or even Christian child to say, okay, read this, tell me what it says. It is clear. You don't need to add. Now we're going to finish by looking at what that might mean for us because I think that that little um, biblical maths lesson is really important in different areas. If you add to the Bible, you subtract from it. In Bible maths, plus equals minus. Now, what would that mean if you happen to be someone who isn't a Christian today and you're listening to this perhaps on our website or here in church? And it is really important, isn't it, that we understand that God has given us a miraculous book. If you've got questions about whether there is a God and what's he like if there is a God, God has given us a miraculous book to help us to see what he is like. Please don't do the plus thing and say, well, <clears throat> to work out if God is, is here or not, I've got to work out all the good stuff that's happening in the world and the bad stuff that's happening in the world, add it all up and, ah, there's too much bad stuff happening in the world, there's no God. People say that, don't they? Because they add that particular view to what uh, should be the Bible description of what God is like and what our world is like. Or they will say, well, I've never actually had any religious feelings. What they're doing is they're adding religious feelings to find out about God. When I get religious feelings, then I'll know that there is a God. You'll also know when you've got the flu, because feelings ultimately are not a guide to God they might just be a guide to you. Or I might say that actually, uh, when I see miracles, then I'll believe. Well, the Bible actually tells us that if you do that, you get led up a right blind alley because false teachers can do miracles. Just because you see a miracle doesn't mean that it's right. The person that's doing it is going to be uh, correct. Or maybe that you say, no, uh, I'm suffering. That means I can't be a God. Well, <clears throat> that's to put suffering in place of the Bible and say that's going to be my guide as to whether there's a God or not. And the answer is no. There are reasons why suffering comes to us that show us that there is a God. And we need to go and get our information from the Bible as to when that might be. So we are really, it is really important for us to say, 
the Bible is supreme. I won't go anywhere else. That's where I will go to find out if there's a God and what he is like. But I'll tell you this. If you are going to teach the Bible, uh, treat the Bible as supreme, you are going to have to do this one thing. You are going to have to be humble. And therefore it means that you will say to yourself, before you start the whole exercise, you will say to yourself, wherever the Bible road leads, I will follow, I will go. When you start off saying, right, the Bible is going to be supreme, and if it takes me down this road following Jesus, then that's the way I'm going to go, then you will start to understand it. But if you say, no, well, I'll weigh up the Bible and I'll see whether I like it or not, that's still putting you supreme, isn't it? And you might find that actually you won't get very far reading the Bible in that kind of arrogant way doesn't help. What happens if you've been to church lots? Well, again, I think it's really important for us to be careful of the Bible plus warning. Because when you go to different churches, they can add stuff to the Bible and you may not even have noticed that it's an add-on. But if you are going to go into Bible alone, that means you've got to minus the stuff that you've heard before. Take it out of your system. Lose it. Unlearn it. So if you're a Roman Catholic, you are going to have to unlearn everything that you learned about Mary. You need to minus Mary in order to understand the Bible with clarity. If you come from an African background, you will need to unlearn everything you've heard about the prosperity gospel. It is a blind alley and it will lead you up the spot. need to lose it, minus it, to understand what the Bible really says about uh, what it's like to follow Jesus. And if you're uh, uh, an ordinary uh, white Brit, we'll need to unlearn and uh, lose our sense of going where the culture takes us. And we need to start detaching ourselves from that, unlearning truths that we might have picked up from the world that will take us away from the Bible if we don't uh, uh, ditch them. So we need to understand that if we are going to be uh, Bible only rather than Bible plus, we need to lose stuff that we have heard in other places before. And then thirdly, what happens if you're a genuine Christian? But my friends, the simple take-home for us is that you want to read it, don't you? This is God's text message to you. Everyone likes to pour over their phone and get their text messages. Well, pour over this. This is God's Facebook. It's how you see God's face. Read it. Because if God has given us the Bible alone to find out, then clearly he expects you and me to read it. In fact, it's really interesting. One of the most searching questions that Jesus asked of people in his time was, have you not read? So there was a time, for example, in Matthew chapter 19, where people went up to him and said, Jesus, we want to talk to you about divorce. He said, why do you want to talk to me about divorce? Have you not read what was written in Genesis? 
you read the Bible, you wouldn't be happy. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Have you not read that right at the beginning, God made couple one and they became one flesh? Right? End of. There won't be any other relationship apart from that. And so therefore the Bible tells us that uh, we are to uh, read the Bible because one day God will say, Why do you, have you not read? My friends, if we're sitting in church not reading the Bible, then Jesus is going to be searching our, our, our activity really soon. When we get home, we don't bother to read it. But we don't read it as a kind of a must-do kind of religious exercise that you've got to make yourself do. You read it the way Mary read it. Remember those two sisters we looked at last week? Martha was the one who was massively busy. Mary's the one who sat at Jesus' feet. And what she did when she sat with his feet is, I want this person to speak to me. I want to take time out so I can spend time with him. Read it with that kind of attitude and heart. So the Bible alone, the Bible alone is our guide. It's not Bible plus. Because Bible plus is always going to be Bible minus. Don't go for the Bible minus life. The only way to avoid it is to say Bible alone. As uh, Martin Luther would say in Latin, sola scriptura. Mm -hmm. And you don't need anything else. With it, you will have God's supreme authority over your life. With it, you will have God's sufficient equipping to do every good work that he calls you to do. With it, you will have something that is so clear even children can understand. If God has given us such a treasure, then we need to make the most of it, don't we? And read it for ourselves as a child would listen to a father. Well, let's pray that God will help us to do that. And then after that, we'll take some questions, if you have any. Our Father, we do want to thank you for the way that uh, you have given us a miraculous book that is to be supreme over our lives that is sufficient for all that we might do those decisions that we might need to make and which is so clear that uh, we may uh, dispense with the experts that disagree and look simply at what your word tells us in its simplicity. Please, would you help us to be a church known to be those who are faithful to your word at a time when, as Paul warned us, there's a spiritual gravity pulled downwards and things go from bad to worse. Please help us to be always reforming our lives around what the Bible says 
And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.